This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, sleeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh-brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to HRT. I'm your host, Bethany Adams. I love HRT, but truth be told, I am a coffee drinker. All right. On today's episode, I sat down with our director of the Villanova HRD program, Dr. Jerry Brandon. Jerry is an IO psychologist, that is industrial and organizational psychologist. And much of the research that has led to the application of workplace policies and HR practice comes from IO psychology. Jerry has over 17 years of experience as an HR manager and researcher working for the Pennsylvania State Education Association, PSEA. And Jerry has great experience and knowledge in the area of evidence-based practice. And this is something that we are seeing more and more importance in in organizations and hype around in organizations, analytics on decision-making and using evidence-based management. So I started just by asking Jerry to explain the hype and importance, what is evidence-based HR? The fact is that we all use evidence when we're making decisions, whether it's in our personal lives or at the workplace. What evidence-based HR focuses on is what's the quality of that evidence? And it's a methodology that helps HR practitioners, managers identify the best available evidence, and not because it's going to lead to the right answer, the one way to do something. What it does lead to is increasing the chances of having a positive outcome or decreasing the likelihood of a negative outcome. So it pushes the odds in your favor. And in doing so, and not looking for a right answer or wrong answer, but a better answer, it recognizes that outcomes are not a dichotomy, not good or bad, success or failure, but more along a continuum. So so what are some of those types of evidence? So there's what a lot of people think of right away, which is scientific research. You know, is that the evidence that we're talking about? And maybe there's a feeling that they're not all equipped or familiar with scientific evidence, and therefore, you know, can they be an evidence-based manager? But that's just one type of evidence. There's actually three other types that are available to all managers, including HR managers, in addition to scientific research. So there's organizational data that's available to you. A third type is professional expertise. When people think about, well, what about an intuition? Where does that fall? Yeah, what about my gut feeling? Right, yeah. So when you're doing something and you become an expert, it's the difference between having uh, explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge. And experts are able to have knowledge that is kind of below the surface. It's so ingrained. It's almost muscle memory type of knowledge that it feels like intuition, but it actually comes from an expertise that has been acquired as a result of having repeated experiences with feedback in a 
problem area where you learn from that so that you are quite good at it. So expertise should certainly be a part of the available evidence to HR people when they're looking at problems. Now, the question comes up, does the person who is representing themselves as having expertise, have they really acquired the expertise? And unfortunately, there's a certain requirement in the environment that allows for expertise to be acquired or not. And it is very difficult to acquire exceptional expertise in the management realm. And let me explain why. So you have to have a sufficiently regular, predictable environment, and you have to have opportunities to learn about it through prolonged practice. And the fact is that the environment that we operate in as managers is not as predictable. Yes, we might see things a few times, but we don't have the same type of repetition and regularity that some other occupations have. So uh, we've got scientific research, organizational data, and professional expertise. And the final area is stakeholders, believe it or not. You've got to factor in the fact that this is a value-based enterprise that we're operating in. And there are multiple stakeholders, and they have differing perspectives and opinions on what's a good outcome, how the problem should be looked at, how you define and frame the problem. You've got to be able to make that shift in perspective and bring that as also evidence to the problems that you're working on. So I'm curious, you know, academic research is dense and not always the easiest to interpret. So I'm curious, what are some sources that you would recommend for people? What are some tips on how to go about using evidence-based HR? I would suggest that a good place to start is to have a fuller understanding of what I just talked about. And I would recommend the Center for Evidence-Based Management. There are some tools that they have there that would be quite helpful. I think kind of overarching on this is that you have to be systematic in thinking about the problems that you have. And this center outlines a structured approach. They call it the six A's. And they look at asking, acquiring, appraising, aggregating, applying, and assessing. And that's in sequence. When you're thinking about your organization and problems, you have to translate a practical issue that you have into an answerable question. Then you have to go and figure out where can I get information, retrieve the evidence. Where is it for this problem that I have? And if it's research, then you're going to go to the research literature. If it's professional expertise, then you know you got to figure out who you need to go talk to. If it's stakeholders, you know who's involved and how would you figure out what, how they feel about it. The third A is appraising it. The question is, what is the quality of the evidence, and how do you? evaluate the quality of that evidence. And there are tools that uh, can be applied. Aggregating it is making sure that you're not getting a narrow slice of what's out there so that you're looking more broadly. And then you've got to take what you've learned and apply it into the decision-making process. And that's another area where there's a lot of potential for decisions to go awry, is what process are you using to make, make decisions? And then assessing. How did you do? How did things turn out? And that feedback, that assessing has got to be a really important piece in the whole bigger picture because that's how you determine whether or not you use the right evidence. You talk to the right people within the process. Yeah, it absolutely is. So you asked the question about, you know, how can an organization 
you know, take, take itself in, in becoming more evidence-based. And one of the big proponents of evidence-based management is a woman, Denise Rousseau, who's a Carnegie Mellon professor. She's actually considered one of the founding mothers of evidence-based management. She works in the Heinz School of Business at Carnegie Mellon. And she says that most employees and peers like it when employees bring evidence and make recommendations that are evidence-based. So, you know, first of all, I have to recognize that there, there's value to it recognized by managers in general and peers. But culture is a big thing. So think about Google or Microsoft. Those are cultures that are very strong in wanting to be data-driven. And so that's an easier place to do evidence-based management than maybe some other types of organizations. So she also says, you know, when you're making recommendations, you should be involved in discussions. You should raise awareness about evidence. You should ask, what's the evidence that's being used? And maybe is there better evidence out there? You can actually even cite evidence to kind of raise the bar inside your organization. Well, you know, you just hit on many organizations are talking about being more data-driven. Google, Microsoft, SAP, right? These are organizations that are talking about data a lot. And we are hearing more and more about people analytics and big data in our organizations. You said that one of the pieces of evidence that we could use was data from our own organization. So how does that relate to evidence-based HR? So I think they facilitate operating in an evidence-based manner. Big data refers not only just to the enormous volume of data, but also how messy it is, how unstructured and messy it is, and a huge programming problem that exists in order to take data and turn it into, you know, usable information. You know, we're generating and capturing more data than ever before. We're wearing wearable technology. We have the Internet of Things. You know, bringing all of this information together, got to figure out how we turn all of this data into useful and actionable information. Now, people analytics refers to how organizations can integrate and manage data about their workforce, uh, you know, at all different employment stages, constantly being updated because we have fresh information. The two combined relate to having data in areas that are important to the operation of the organization, but figuring out how you pull that together so it's not just data, it's information. Yeah, so I think that we hear often about trends that are happening in organizations, and we think, oh, should I be implementing that? Should I be doing that? Maybe we should look at that. If I wanted to prove something enough, I could go in and probably find someone who's done some research and said, this will work. Is there a danger in that, in us cherry-picking research to support our ideas that we want to do based on it being something that's trendy or something that we hear works in some other place? What do you think about that, you know, people manipulating evidence to make their theory work or their idea, you know, seem stronger within an organization? I think there's absolutely a danger in cherry-picking. And whether, you know, it's being done explicitly to manipulate or it's being done unconsciously, the outcome's the same. The question I would ask is why would someone want to cherry pick? And I think that it suggests that one's driven by, I already know the answer, and now I found something that supports this. You're really not 
looking for evidence to help you make a better decision. You're looking for evidence to prove I'm right. (laughs) Yes, to prove you're right, to get your program in place. So I mentioned before, one of the six A's is aggregating, and that is a way of avoiding the pitfalls to use a a little bit of a pun, of cherry picking. So this means looking broadly at findings. And if you're truly interested in finding out what the research evidence suggests or what your organizational data suggests, then you would want to aggregate. You're going to want to not just find the one piece that's going to be supportive of it. So Jerry keeps mentioning some of these six A's, and I think it's important to spend a moment going over these. These six A's are the principles of evidence-based practice that come from the Center for Evidence-Based Research that Jerry mentioned earlier. The first A is asking, translating an issue or a problem that you want to fix into an answerable question. And this took me back to our first podcast episode with Jennifer McClure, where she talked about people analytics being really about curiosity to solve problems and ask better questions. The second A is acquiring, or systematically searching for and finding evidence that may answer those questions that you've just proposed. Then appraising, the third A, judging the evidence based on relevance and trustworthiness The fourth A is what Jerry was just hitting on, aggregating. This means pulling together data from a variety of measures and weighing that data against the question that you asked. And the final A's are applying and assessing. Applying is the one that we never miss. This is what we often jump to in organizations because we are anxious for action. But application is only effective if the first four A's being addressed come first. And finally, the last A, assessing. This is another one that we often forget to do in organizations. We need to go back and evaluate the outcome of the decisions that we make to determine if they were truly successful or if there are other opportunities to improve. So going back to that fourth A, aggregating, I think that there is still a challenge here in weighing data because people are still prone to bias. We come hardwired to think and act in a particular way based on our own previous knowledge and the larger social environment. So I asked Jerry about this. How can we address these biases that we face in our day-to-day decision-making? So one of the things that we know is that As human beings, we are imperfect information processors, and we're subject to all kinds of distortions and biases that we're not even aware of. So the evidence-based management tools minimize those biases. They don't eliminate them, but they minimize them and help us examine organizational problems with a lot more clarity. The reason that I am persuaded by this, besides the evidence of these biases, is when I hear from people who have studied these biases. So a name you may have heard, Nobel Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman, he worked with Amos Tversky, and they won the Nobel Prize in Behavioral Economics. He studied these biases and brought many of them to light for over 45 years. And he said that he's no better at avoiding the biases as when he started studying them. He still makes extreme predictions, he's overconfident in his judgment, and he falls for every one of the biases. Well, if a Nobel Prize winner can't get past it, how can we get past it? Well, it means that awareness is not the solution, is not the remedy to this, but awareness is a necessary step. And 
it means that we have to check against those biases with the tools that evidence-based management has. So you're, you don't just go out and look for confirmatory evidence. You actually look for something that's going to prove you wrong. So think about some belief that you hold about your organization. And instead of going around and looking for evidence that supports it, try going around and looking for evidence that would undermine it. See what you find. Your search process is kind of wired to look for evidence that supports it instead of evidence that doesn't support it. And let me end with a quote from the brilliant British theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking, who passed away recently. And his quote that I love is, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it's the illusion of knowledge. So we hold beliefs that we think are true, but it actually blocks our ability to maybe see some things that really are true. Yeah. And I think that is kind of the lesson, right, in how we can use evidence to make better decisions, to make us better in our organizations, and to really use what science is telling us about the processes that we're putting in place to make them better and more effective. I'm wondering, too, and maybe this is a question back to us here working at a university, but where do we put some onus on the academic researchers? I said this at the beginning, you know, academic research is dense and it is heavy and it doesn't always drill down to here's the findings and here's how you could apply it in your organization. So I'm wondering, you know, what could we do better to get this information out and make it more useful for organizations. A legitimate criticism is that scientists, including management researchers, IO psychology researchers, are not adept at translating their results into practical uh, recommendations. They appear to be speaking to each other and not to practitioners. And building this great set of knowledge, but it's sitting there not impacting the work right. What good is the right. research if no yeah. one knows that it's there? I think there needs to be more collaboration between researchers and practitioners. This will help direct researchers towards the types of problems that practitioners are facing inside their organizations. I think it will help researchers understand how they can communicate those findings. And I think it will also educate practitioners about the quality of evidence and where they can find it and how much research can help the practitioners as well. So that collaboration, I think, can only lead to good things. Good news is that there are some efforts to try and bridge this gap. And one organization that you told me about was uh, Science for Work. I'll tell our listeners about it. It's a website that presents evidence from research literature that they think is most relevant to practitioners. And they do some of the work, which is time-saving, but it also comes from an expertise that they have about looking at the quality or what they call the trustworthiness of the evidence. So they evaluate the evidence and provide through their website the highest quality information and they put it in a bite-sized piece, so five-minute reading that has the findings and implications. It's great, it's for, great small for small businesses, businesses yeah, right, yeah. that might not have the know or the resources to hire an expert. This has been great. I hope that our listeners have learned and picked up a few things, and we'll put all of the resources that we've talked about on our website. So thank you for sitting down with well, me today. Thanks for asking me to. It was quite enjoyable.
All right. So there you have it. It comes out again in another podcast episode, the need for more collaboration between academics and practitioners. If you have been following along with this whole season of HRT, you have heard me say this in multiple episodes. There is a need for more collaboration between academics and practitioners. And I know that it might seem a bit daunting to think about HR research because there's a time commitment and you might think that you just don't have the time in your organization to find and evaluate all of the evidence that exists to answer questions and solve problems. But if you really think about it and think about the alternative, going on your gut or rushing into solutions that are costly and time-consuming themselves without evaluating the true impact and application for our teams and our organizations, that can be costly. Can we really afford not to use evidence-based management? I truly believe that there are ways to apply evidence to your work in small ways. The main point here is just to fact check what you've heard, what you've found, or what you believe to be correct before implementing. And if you aren't sure, take advantage of some of those resources that Jerry talked about, the Center for Evidence-Based Management and Science for Work. There may even be more out there. All right, I can't believe it, but this brings us to the end of season one of HRT. I hope you found this episode and all of our episodes this season to be informative and hopefully even a little entertaining in your pursuit of making work better for yourself, your employees, and your organizations. I am excited to announce that our faithful listeners of HRT are eligible for SHRM recertification credits just for listening to the complete season one of HRT. If you have been following along and made it through all eight episodes, you can use code 19KH67H to gain two and a half recertification credits with SHRM. Again, that code is 19-K, as in kangaroo, H, as in happy, Six, seven, H, as in happy. The voice that you have been hearing open and close the season one podcast of HRT is Connor Kennedy. Connor is a graduate assistant in the Villanova HRD graduate program and one of our HRT podcast team members. We plan to release season two in January 2020, so keep your eyes and your ears peeled for our season two trailer coming later this fall. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And as always, whatever you are drinking, coffee, tea, or something a little bit stronger, I hope it leads you to fresh brewed ideas that will help make work better for all of us. Cheers. Thank you for listening to HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode steep, share with us what you're brewing using the hashtag HRT. That's hashtag H-R-T-E-A. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at villanovahrd.com.